Loving God, as we seek your spirit to guide us deeper into understanding of your purposes and your character, on this day, this Trinity Sunday, help us to understand that which is available to us and to be in awe of that which is well beyond us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God does have a sense of humour. I think that's been known for quite some time. But when uh, Rick mentioned a few weeks back that Kevin Lindy will be with us on this particular Sunday, I thought that makes sense, uh, June the 12th, noted. And then this week as I was preparing a sermon on the Trinity, I thought, okay, a bit of background for some of you who may not be quite as aware of that. Uh, Many years ago, it was in the late 1990s, when one of Kevin and Lindy's visits uh, over to Kenzerton, and we had a chat, and I think we're outside, I can still picture Kevin outside the, the, uh, on the porch of the rectory, and he said, oh, I'm taking a new direction in my thinking and my studies, I'm really interested in the Trinity. So I think that was the launch of an interesting few decades of exploring the Trinity, for those of you who don't know, that since that time when Kevin takes a little interest in a subject that reduces in two, three, how many books and articles and sessions that are excellent, I have to tell you. Um, the work has been done, uh, is uh, important and clear and a great service to many other, to the wider church as well. Now, clergy usually have a degree of trepidation on Trinity Sunday knowing that we enter into something that is beyond our capacity to find sufficient words or language, let alone being able to explain it. We glimpse it, we know it is vitally important. We have some understanding of what it is not and how it can be misused. It's of a heightened sense of that that I enter into my, offer my words to you this morning. We are focusing, as we have done since the beginning of February, on exploring God's mission plan as it is revealed in Scripture from Genesis 1 right through to Revelation 22. And I've been using this one line, shalom, in the sanctuary of God, as a description of the purpose, the goal to which God's mission plan is directed. Last week we saw how on Pentecost, it wasn't a uh, taking another step to one side to focus on the work of the Spirit, but we saw how the Holy Spirit is the chief actor in this mission work. And this week, it is the same, that exploring the Trinity is not to take another direction from our main theme, but to see how this is not only front and centre, but indeed this is where the mission of God took root. This is where it all came from, from an understanding of the Trinity. Now, there are many ways in which we can explore the terminology around the Trinity. The, the basic shape of it is, is fairly well known and it's accepted by the, the, the Catholic Church, the church from apostolic times. There is one God, only ever been one God, but that God can be discerned through and here we begin to struggle with the right language. The, the, the main language is used of persons, but not persons as we would know them in a human sense, but three identities, three distinct beings, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. They're not the other, but they are all one. But beyond that, how we begin to explore what does this look like is not only challenging, but one in which calls for enormous humility. 
none of us can say we have it mastered. I'm not going to enter into all those notions or even a summary of them. In days gone by, we would actually have the Athanasian Creed on Trinity Sunday, which is a fairly long creed, let alone stopping line by line to unpack it. It's still there in the prayer book, so if you feel shortchanged by that, you can actually just ignore the rest of the sermon and turn up the Athanasian Creed and run run through that as well. However, I do want to take it in a direction that uh, has been of my particular interest. Let me just see if this is actually working this morning. It is. I want to see the connection between the Trinity and the mission of God. And this is another area where in the last uh, three or four decades, since the early, uh, well actually it was emerging through the 20th century, but by the end of the 20th century was really coming to the fore, the rediscovery of the notion of missio dei, the mission of God, and uh, how the Trinity is not incidental to that. It is actually foundational for it. Now, this quote that I have here on the screen from Jürgen Moltmann has subsequently come to many other versions. I think Moltmann was the first to articulate it in quite these ways, and pretty much every missiologist ever since has a version of this particular quote. It is not that the church that has a mission of salvation to fulfil in the world. The church does not have a mission in and of our own choosing. It is the mission of the Son and the Spirit through the Father That includes the church. Some of the more recent articulations would express it as it's not that the church has a mission, it's that the God of mission has a church. And that insight has shaped a lot of thinking and helpful thinking when it comes to where does the mission, what is the mission we talk about? Being missional church is very much the language that is used, and I still like it even though it is, the word has been used um, in such a variety of ways. David Bosch is another missiologist uh, who sadly died in the in 1990s, early 1990s from South Africa, and he articulated this even further. He says, Mission is not primarily an activity of the church, but an attribute of God. God is a missionary God. This is of the essence of of what God's being is, is to be ascending God. Now I'm going to unpack this a little bit further. I know the quote may not be hard to see it, but it's an important one. So let me just uh, run through it. This is as deep as it goes this morning. So this is the, here off it actually eases off a little bit. Mission was understood in the early church, he's talking about. In the early church, mission was understood as being derived from the very nature of God. It was thus put in the context of the doctrine of the Trinity, not of ecclesiology, our understanding of the church, or of sotology, our understanding of salvation. The classical doctrine of the Missio Dei as God the Father sending the Son and God the Father and the Son sending the Spirit was expanded to include yet another movement, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit sending the church into the world. This next quote is the crunch one. Mission is thereby seen as a movement from God to the world. The church is viewed as an instrument 
of that mission. Others would actually go further and say it is a sign, it's, actually, it's a realisation of that mission as well. There is a church because there is a mission, not vice versa. To participate in mission is to participate in the movement of God's love towards people since God is a fountain of sending love. I love that last line. Because God, since God is a fountain of sending love. And we know that. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Where it is significant is that the notion of mission for centuries has been understood as something over there. We as the church exist here and we send an elect small group of people who have some extraordinary qualities overseas somewhere. And our missionary work and our endeavours are supporting mission that happens over there. This understanding of the Trinity turns that on its head. It says unless the church is being in mission in its own self, in being the church, where we are in our neighbourhood, in our uh, culture, in our time, then we're not being the church. So we no longer talk about mission as though it's something outside the church and everything else is what we do in the church. It generates from being the people God has called us to be here at this place, at this time, and that will also be ascending, sending into our own neighbourhood, sending into our wider community, and yes, sending overseas and into other cultures. So that broad understanding of, of mission, and I'm very happy to have further conversations about it, not just afterwards, but for the rest of the year and beyond, pretty much as long as I'm still here at St Matthews, you're going to hear it an awful lot. But it's just as important to begin to see how does this help us understand our reading of Scripture. We've been using Ephesians as a lens to understand the mission of God, the mystery of God that is revealed And we can see how the two are not disconnected. The last two verses from last week as we focused on Pentecost at the end of chapter 2 of Ephesians, we saw how the work of the Spirit was doing this building work. In him, in the Spirit, the whole building is joined together and rises together to become a holy temple. That's the dwelling place of God, the sanctuary of God in the Lord. In him, used to, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So that actually is, forms the background for what we're looking at in the first three, 13 verses of uh, chapter 3 this week. Let me just take a step back for a moment. It is asked from time to time, is the Trinity that important? The word Trinity does not occur in Scripture. Are we making a big thing as an essential faith of the church, something that is distinctive of our Christian faith, if the the word does not even occur? Well, the label Trinity, three in one, triune, doesn't occur in Scripture, that is true. But what it is describing is certainly in Scripture. It's woven throughout Scripture. In fact, in different levels, you can see it from the first words and chapter of Scripture right through. 
I tend to think of it this way, is that some passages that refer to the, the name, the single name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, like in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, is right up there just below the surface. We can see it very clearly, this free uh, tripartite understanding of God. God exists in a community that we can discern as Father, Son and Spirit. A little bit deeper down in Scripture, but it's still there once we're looking for it, we see how God's agency, God's working, the sending of God as it works itself out in the world, in history and through our own times, is named constantly through the working of God, sometimes recognised as the Father. More about that actually next week as we look further into chapter 3. But also, so much is central through the work of the Son and the Lord and through the agency of the Spirit. And so we see this in our chapter today. I'm just going to highlight a couple of verses within it, just to to illustrate how the Trinity is not just marginally there, it is there constantly. Surely you have heard, Paul says, about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. I think right from the early church on, everyone's chuckles whenever Paul says he's written briefly. Uh, This was the Paul who wrote that long sentence at the beginning of chapter 1, which you would not describe as a brief sentence. But that's Paul's version, so I'll stay with it. The mystery of God is God's purpose, is is God's mission. This comes from the administration of the God's grace. God is is, uh, generating this, is the fountain of it, which is revealed by the Spirit. Revealed to God's apostles and prophets, the whole notion of communicating meaningfully with the world through apostles and prophets is come through the working, the agency of the Spirit. This mystery, this is Paul's summary of what he's written so far. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Now, we've been talking a lot in recent weeks about how God's mission is to be a gathering God, gather together one people to break down the things that would separate groups off to us and them, And God says, no, I don't want us and them within the people of God. Those barriers are brought down. There is now a oneness, one humanity in Christ Jesus. An amazing phrase here, which uh, uh, I haven't got time to dwell on, but it actually will come up in in coming weeks. But how all that is the promise in Christ becomes shared, the inheritance that comes is shared is an amazing uh, notion as well. But we just note it, but move on at this stage. And we come to the end of this passage. And Paul says, all this according to God's eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in him and through faith in him. We've noted that phrase or variations of it is just woven through and through and through Ephesians. We may approach God with freedom and confidence, be drawn into that dwelling space of God. But tucked away in the middle of this passage, we see how this working of God's grace, the working of his power, 
the boundless riches of Christ is to be progressed through the church. Verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, through us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only is God descending God in activity, I love the, uh, the Greek tradition, the, the uh, Eastern tradition describes three energies of God to describe the, the, uh, the way in which the Father and the Son and the Spirit are engaging. It's a very dynamic, lively notion. Now, through the church, through us, this God we perceive as Trinity is providing in his grace. As Paul was received the grace of God, so too we are receiving the grace, the gifts to equip us, to enable us to be part of this mission work of God. And as we've been exploring in recent weeks, that can be as simple and as profound as sitting down with someone and simply asking, what is your story? And having time to listen. It is to be welcoming all comers to our church. Those who've had come from troubled backgrounds and those whose life can be a bit of a mess or in a crisis through to those who have been in a, a good place by the green pastures. Welcome together as one people. This is not a church, not just St Matthew's, but the church abroad, where there is space for us and them. When we say, come and join us, you become us. And last week I had that illustration of what that looks like in a Māori context, with a Māori process of welcome culminates with the... Uh, uh, the breathing together of the same air. We say we are now one, the Hongi. A couple of people went off and actually did the, uh, the search for Rebecca Gibney's um, Who Do You Think You Are? and came back and said, like, was it? Yes, that was one person who I'm looking at, Viv, who came and said, you keep making me cry. <laughs> because to view it as such a moving moment, but that is just a glimpse into what the richness is that the mission of God looks like in our own context. There's a whole lot more that could be said about the, uh, the notion of mission, which is actually accommodating. We don't just say, become like us and join us as a church. We say, no, we want to break down as many cultural barriers as possible so they don't become a barrier that we will come to where you are and come alongside you. And in God's grace, hopefully enrich our neighbourhood, enrich our community. So it's not all a sense of come to us and become like us. It is just as much we will go and become like the world around us. And that is an enormous challenge for us in this day and age. So I hope you hear in the midst of that that I'm pretty excited about the Trinity. I've moved from trepidation... I've moved from a sense of anticipation that this is the God who's at work amongst us to a place of awe, a place of knowing that I can never perceive or explain or understand anything like the fullness of this God. But what I perceive, what we glimpse is awesome and it is hope-filled 
and it is grounded in this God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the fountain of sending love. Amen.